This is an ABC podcast. Einstein already said, not everything that is valuable can be measured, and not everything that can be measured is valuable. That Einstein was onto something. But like it or not, your employer has the right to track and measure just about everything you do in your workday. But should they? Is it helpful? Or does it simply kill motivation? Hey, I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Working Life, the second in our series, Big Brother at Work. How is surveillance changing the way we work? And by the way, whatever happened to trust? Emma, who works in a warehouse packing boxes for a clothing company, says being tracked through a handheld device throughout her shift definitely helped to spur her on. Yeah, it definitely changed how I worked. I would definitely have taken things a lot slower. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely was, like, aware of how fast that I'd do a scanner or pack a box. Like, I would kind of look at my clock and be like, yep, okay, so I probably need to get this one done in about 40 minutes or something like that. So I was very conscious of my own productivity as well. I don't know at what sacrifice, but it was definitely, like, highly productive place. But is Emma a unicorn? Does tracking technology always boost productivity? Dr Liz Lyons is an assistant professor of marketing from UC San Diego. So there's some evidence, including from my research, that some types of software-based monitoring improves um, employee performance on the dimensions that that monitoring is targeted at. I've done a study on increased visibility of monitoring among remote workers specifically. So in this study, the actual technology to monitor workers did not change, but we made you know a random subset of workers more aware of the monitoring technology and what it was capable of. And there we found that the monitoring did increase worker productivity and worker retention. And we think based on, um, you know, survey measures that this was because it increased worker satisfaction. So in that context, I think in the absence of the, you know, workers being aware that they were being monitored, they might have thought that they actually weren't very important. So their their managers <laughs> maybe weren't paying attention to them. And then all of a sudden they realized they were being paid attention to. And this made them feel more important. Just a Go bit ahead. of context, Liz, what industry yeah. was this in? What type of work were they doing? So they were doing like field data collection work. And so they were really not in the office and they were also not on computers. And so I think in that sort of setting where you're not having regular interaction uh, with your manager, even with your colleagues, some signal that you are kind of integrated, your performance is integrated into the organization seems important. Seems like a fine balance. Do you have any thoughts on how they found that balance between, oh, this organization cares for me or this organization is actually supervising me, you know, too harshly? Yeah, exactly. So that that's exactly right, because there are also studies that have found um, this increased monitoring reduces uh, employee motivation. There is a study that shows some evidence that employers can interpret too much monitoring or, or, you know, too much, as you say, is is hard to pinpoint, but an increase in monitoring as a sign that their managers don't trust them. And so that's kind of the opposite of increasing job satisfaction. They actually feel less valuable 
um, because why does their manager need to watch them all the time if their manager trusts them? And so they actually reduce their performance and response. And then another study, um, a more recent one, found that this increased monitoring actually made workers feel less responsibility over their, their own tasks, kind of similar to the trust story, but here they turned off their intrinsic motivation. So they said, if the ma manager's gonna watch everything I do, then I'm not gonna do anything above and beyond what they expect of me. And so again, they reduced their performance in response to that monitoring. So I think that's right. Striking this balance seems really important and actually quite hard. And the research doesn't really tell us what the precise right balance is. Professor Paul Zak is a neuroeconomist. He peers into people's brains to see what makes them more productive. Not literally, of course. In his work, he's found that there's one thing more effective in boosting productivity than anything else. Something that Liz touched on. Trust. He says that if bosses attempted to track employees who've started working from home, they should think again. So the first of all, yeah, I think surveillance is a, just a bad idea from a management perspective. That's some old world where work sucks and I've got to somehow monitor you because you've got a gold brick and pay you something to... Um, you know, do the minimum amount of work. So if I'm hiring the right people and if they understand how important what we do is to our customers, then I shouldn't need to do that at all. The second is um, having productivity tools, of which there are many, many now. Um, maybe there are apps that may help you organize your yourself. And what about if I'm an employer saying, look, I'm going to give you the liberty of remote working, but of course I do need to know uh, whether you're being productive at home. So the trade-off is that I'll be putting this surveillance technology on your computer. What do you say to that, Paul? Stupid idea. Full stop. You're at home, right? You're, you're in meetings. I can track your productivity, right? I've given you jobs. I've given you goals to do. So it's not a question of whether you're productive or not. And again, the data suggests people are more productive. Um, it's really building in that social aspect, sitting down, doing emotional check-ins at work. I think it's really important for remote work. Hey, Lisa, how are you? Gosh, you look tired. Are you okay? What's going on? Having that normal chit-chat time that we do naturally, it's not surveillance. It's not some kind of piecework. It's really asking people if they'll put their passion, their energy into moving the organization goals forward. And to do that, you've got to be part of a trusted team and you've got to know why these goals are important to the world, not just that it generates a paycheck. So I just think it's a, it's a very, um, I was going to say 20th century, maybe 19th century way to, to manage individuals. I don't think you're not hiring the right people if, if you've got to do that kind of surveillance. Uh, but I do think the emotional check-in is important. And so from a leadership perspective, people's emotional states carry a lot of information. Again, they carry that information about what they really love and what they really like, don't like doing. And so doing an emotional check-in is a much, to me, a much smarter way. And even, you know, we started doing virtual happy hours, which I sort of thought was stupid, to be honest with you. I thought, eh, how good is this going to be? Gosh, was that fun. After working at home, uh, we're doing it once a month uh, on Friday afternoons. And, you know, people take their computers out to the backyard and uh, have a have a drink or two. And it is such a good time because it's something that we do naturally work anyway. And that after work, socializing builds social ties that help us be more effective in work. 
If you do feel like productivity tracking software is beneficial to you or your organisation's work, though, Dr Liz Lyon says it's fairly essential to make sure you're tracking the right thing. And hint, it's not about keystrokes. Just to speak on the keystrokes example, it's pretty clear that I can be tapping, you know, tons (laughs) of keystrokes in any given moment. um, And that would be no measure of productivity might actually be a measure of very low efficiency if I'm just pounding away at keys and and not getting anything done. But I think more generally, in order for this monitoring to be useful, it has to be clear that it's actually measuring something employers care about. And so, you know, depending on how you think about, you know, how measurable the dimensions of performance you care about are, this monitoring may be, you know, more or less useful. So, I think, you know, if we think about jobs where, you know, the output of workers is very easy to measure, um, then maybe the inputs don't matter so much. You know, what they do when they're just surfing the web or whatever during the day, isn't that relevant if their output is looking good and consistently looking good and, and that output is quite measurable. So in settings like that, it's kind of hard to understand why you would want consistent measuring of, of, you know, moment to moment inputs when you're able to measure what you care about, which is outputs. But then there are jobs where, you know, either the output takes a very long time to materialize and and you don't want to, you know, just wait two years to see if your employee's performing or the output itself is quite hard to measure. And then you might want to measure these inputs. So, you know, the day-to-day type of effort measurements we think about. You know, before these technologies and even now, some employees are kind of evaluated based on how long they sit in an office chair. And that is, you know, maybe totally unrelated to their actual (laughs) performance, but it's what employers can measure. Now with these new tools, they can measure a ton more, but you still don't have a direct link between those um, inputs and what you care about. So I think the first thing employers, you know, should think about is what do we actually care about? What does a good employee look like to us? What does a good outcome look like to us? And how do we think inputs relate to those outcomes? I've heard some, you know, read some articles and heard some people say that now because they're required to turn these tracking softwares on whenever they're working, they now don't want to work after like their kids go to bed or something because that's off work hours and their work won't be tracked. So you worry that you're putting employees in this mindset of really we're tracking your inputs and your outputs are less important instead of saying like, do whatever you need to do to reach these outputs and we trust that you will do that. So I do think that there is a risk of behavioral change in response to this. You could also get people, you know, maybe they're not going to Instagram on their work computer, but they're just going to do that on their phone where you can't track them. So, of course, these things are imperfect. And if by looking at your phone to go on Instagram instead of doing it on your work computer, you're getting more distracted, then it could actually, you know, harm aggregate productivity. So, again, I think like, employers really have to think hard about why these tools are useful for them and use those tools in those ways that are useful for them, not in the kind of just generalized, collect everything we can. We don't even know what to do with the data (laughs) and it's deterring productivity uh, among our workers. Yeah, it does sound like the focus should be on really trying to clarify what are the outputs 
yeah you know that we want to have and therefore how do we measure that rather than the inputs right right I think that um that is the key and I also think workers understand that a little better um you know I know personally doing the crossword when I'm tired at work helps me you know improve my productivity post crossword but I also know that crossword is going to look to an employer if I were being monitored as, you know, leisure time. And so maybe I wouldn't do that if I thought I was being <laughs> monitored. And then, you know, my productivity would be lower as a result. And so I think and, and the other thing that's really critical here is that each worker, you know, operates differently. So, you know, some people would be less productive after doing a crossword. Um, some people are more productive at seven in the morning versus 10 at night um, and constraining workers to operate within this like one size fits all norm for work, um, especially in, in more creative tasks is probably uh, detrimental. No judgment here, Liz. Of <laughs> Belinda says if her boss watched the way she worked, they probably wouldn't get it either. I'm a writer and a lot of what I write about is really technical and quite scientific. So my brain does need regular breaks. And on top of that, I'm more of a work sprinter than a marathon runner. So I'll work really hard for about 40 or 45 minutes and then my brain needs a break. So I'll switch over to YouTube and see what the otters at Melbourne Zoo are doing in their den, if they're sleeping or playing or whatever. Or I'll go onto Instagram and see what cute cat videos I can find. Just something that takes my mind off the really technical stuff I've been dealing with and grappling with for the past 40 minutes or so. So clearly, if we do decide tracking is the way to go, we need to carefully consider what we're monitoring and account for the odd crossword or cat video. But Yuri Moll, who's an expert in organisational studies from the University of Melbourne, says it's also important to remember that the very act of being watched can change employee behaviour. The panopticon is a concept that comes from the philosopher, the British philosopher, Jeremy Bentham. And he wanted to devise a way by which one could discipline through surveillance the people who were being surveyed. In doing so, it was basically the blueprint for a prison. So if people think that that watchtower in the prison is manned and there is a guard there, then they will you know, behave themselves. And here now think of a, a watchtower in the middle and of the prison built around it. And all the individual cells see nothing. They don't see any of their neighbors. All they see is the watchtower watching them. That's all they see when they look out. And of course, that will make sure that all the prisoners will work uh, hard and will behave themselves, even though there might, might not be anybody in the tower. And that is kind of the, where Michel Foucault says that we become docile bodies. We start to self-discipline ourselves. We are no longer doing something because we are directly or continuously told to do something, but we're actually doing something because we feel observed. And this notion so of observation is something that's, of course, and feeling observed constantly is something that's very much of this day and age as well. So it's the thought of being watched rather than the fact that maybe somebody isn't going to watch hours of tape of us working. 
that actually yeah, makes us exactly, behave. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So, you know, what is it, uh, George Orwell? A big brother is watching us, right? And we all have this feeling and we, we're all always, always thinking that the watchers were the enemy. It was always a top-down relationship, right? So we didn't like the watchers, right? So this Orwellian big brother type. But that is very much changing. We are becoming the watchers ourselves. We are watching others, watching us. Hang on. Stop it there for a sec. Did you get that? So we're watching others, watching us. Stay with us here because it gets better. We basically see two things happening now. Two things, basically, that the gaze is no longer on the inside of organization, but comes from the outside. That sounds a bit weird, but I'll explain in a moment. And the other is that because we have a poverty of attention, is that everything becomes metrified. Everything becomes a metric. In other words, it becomes calculable. And why is that the case? Well, then the algorithms can take care of what, what is typically going on. So what that means is that my boss, you know, when I go up for promotion or when, he, when they need to do my performance review, cannot really judge me anymore. He's, he's kind of bereft of that power. Why? Because Google Scholar has determined how many sites I've got, how many journal publications I've got. There is no room for him to sway one way or another, because, you know, this is kind of like the objective worth almost, or it seemed to be the objective worth of my performance as an academic. So ultimately, does this mean that only work which can be measured will be measured? So what gets measured gets done. So yes. uh, because the more that we can measure it, then we can do it a little bit better, incrementally better yet again, etc. We call this learning. But Einstein already said, not everything that is valuable can be measured. And not everything that can be measured is valuable. We should be very careful with how we use measurement because to the point, what gets measured gets done. It's evident that this technology is having an impact on the way we do our work. So what does it mean for the future? Jathan Sadowski is from the Emerging Technologies Research Lab at Monash University. To really understand what the potential future of this could be, you know, if, if we don't do anything to change that. It, it really is this future towards something like these kind of tracking software that aim for something like total information capture of what a worker does during work hours and perhaps even outside of work hours potentially leading and feeding into something like full automation. So, you know, we can think about these kind of information capture systems as training the technology that isn't quite advanced or sophisticated enough to fully take over someone's job and is for now better suited at overseeing humans doing that job to using all of that data that it's collecting as a way to uh, train an artificial intelligence system or train automated systems that can move and shift from managing and overseeing humans to eventually replacing parts of the job to you know perhaps totally replacing humans doing the job. That's one future that a lot of tech companies are actively and pretty explicitly focused on. Can anything be done to arrest the tide, for example, to achieve a better balance and make these technologies work more for the employee than the employer? 
I certainly think so. There, there is a lot that can be done and ought to be done. I mean, I think first we have to understand that there's a, there is a power asymmetry here. So these technologies are working the way that they are and they're used on workers in the way that they are because they're designed for the values and the interest of the bosses, of the managers. Those are the customers of these, uh, of these technologies. And so it's, to be expected that they operate in the way that they do. But we can flip that around. Take, for example, a really common use of, of, of this kind of worker tracking and monitoring this surveillance is to capture instances of what companies call time theft. So time theft is when you are quite literally, you know, in their eyes, stealing time from the company. So, you know, maybe you take too long of a lunch break or you take too many bathroom breaks or you check Twitter or Facebook when you're supposed to be working. All of these are instances of time theft. And this tracking software can can really monitor that to, you know, to the minutes to see, all right, you know, you were on Facebook for 20 minutes during the day when you should have been working. And so you'll be disciplined or maybe your pay will be docked for those 20 minutes. But importantly, this surveillance technology can and should also be turned around on the companies themselves. So for example, rather than creating software that helps track and uh, time theft, what if the software were to be used to capture instances of wage theft? which is uh, you know very much in the news right now where you've got companies like Woolies and Coles but also universities like Melbourne you know really having these legal cases where th- there's been massive and systemic wage theft um, where they haven't been paying you know their casual workers their staff the wages that they are that they are obligated and so we could use this kind of surveillance technology and turn it around and kind of in a way of inverting the power relation. Jason, what I find interesting is that both examples are using the technology to, in a way, catch out um, the other party. Do you think that technology can be used instead to empower and to even heal the relationship between uh, employer and employee? If we think about, you know, the threat of of automation and robots replacing workers, um, at the at the end of the day, it's not the case that the robots want to replace workers. The robots don't want to do anything. It's that they're designed for certain purposes in order to serve certain interests. But we could also imagine a workplace where automation um, and robotics are used to actively complement workers to make their job easier, to allow them to produce the same level of value with only a fraction of the amount of effort or, or, or time required. This would be a way of, of a kind of win-win circumstance, right? Mm. It would be a way of, of kind of balancing out this power relation and creating a circumstance where it's not winner take all, which is very much the way it is treated right now, where you know, companies have this imperative uh, of profit. They have an imperative to kind of exercise discipline over their workforce. And that imperative tends to swing on the extremes, right? They want more. It's always a, const- a constant quest for more accumulation, more power. But if we were just to 
to reel that back and kind of balance out those stakes, then we could imagine a circumstance where companies are able to make the profits that they want. They're able to get the value that they are after, while at the same time, um, workers are able to produce that value and do so in a way that's, that's actively empowered and complemented by these technologies. Emerging technologies researcher, Jathan Sadowski. Next time. As a society, we are experiencing what I term happiness poverty. So many of us have an insufficient amount of joy in our lives. And that joy can be found at work. Dun, dun, dun. Tune in to hear how we can hack back our happiness at work. This episode of This Working Life was produced by our new recruit, Edwina Stott. Supervising producer is Maria Tickle, who in her downtime at work prefers to browse exotic destinations that's anywhere more than five kilometres from her home. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next time, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.